You are now listening to Conscientization 101, an online magazine combining reflection, music, and action through independent media. It's uh, very important to be with conscious African women and men. And I'm very excited to see Conscientization 101, to see Sister Zari there and the brother James, and uh, to see that you have started an organization to conscientize the world, especially African people about what's really going on in this world. Conscientization 101. A lot of these people right now in this conscious, so-called conscious movement, they're not actually living in that in that lifestyle. Bakers. That's why, you know, obviously yourself, we're on the same sort of frequency. That's why you're listening to the same things I'm listening to because we're sharing that same sort of thought. We want the same sort of things and a lot of people don't want the same sort of things. Even yourself, what you're doing now is for the people. So everything is people-based. Globally conscientizing. Making me proud of what um, this kind of connection here is that you know, when no matter what is said, no matter what is done, um, you, you leave that you leave listening to our music with a feeling. The same way we're going to leave this conversation with a feeling, and um, that is the most important thing you know, for for I and I the, the vibe and the energy and the feeling that you leave with. Because you might not remember every lyric, but you're going to remember the feeling. So um, that's 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 really important, and that's what I'm getting from what you're doing. 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 Consequently, we want to tell you when you talk about Pan-Africanism, you talk about something that the enemy is trying everywhere to hide because it is the only solution to our problems. This aspect of hiding begins everywhere. In the first instance, just to cut us off from Africa completely. You know, Malcolm X is powerful. And Malcolm X can see it a long way. And Malcolm X can see things clearly. Malcolm used to say all the time, the tragedy of the American capitalist system is that it will teach people to hate themselves for no other reason than to continue the exploitation. And if you will look, the truth of it is square for Africans. I mean, we don't identify with Africa. We're the only people who think we ain't got no mission. <laughs> I mean, everybody in this country, except the original indigenous owners of the land, whose land it is and will always be, <laughs> the American capitalism will confuse you and let you think justice is a quantitative question. <laughs> yeah. And this country, if you steal some money and hold it for X number of years undetected, the money can legally belong to you. <laughs> but justice is not a quantitative question. <laughs> it's a qualitative question. If somebody steals this from me and I die tonight and they keep it for a thousand years, that won't belong to them. A thief is a thief until they turn to We want no confusion. This land belongs to the original indigenous people, commonly called American Indians. And they are fighting. I know CNNR is not there, but they are fighting. <laughs> Even while we sit here and talk, they're fighting. While we talk, some of their greatest warriors are in prison here, like Leonard Peltier, who's been in prison for 13 years, going blind simply because he dared to fight for the self-determination of his people's rights in their own land.
song day you walked out of your living hell. They took most of your life, dirty long knives. To you, I fly this kind to let you know I feel the strife. Clinton cheats on his wife, he had no alibi. Promised you a pardon, but they were all white lies. But he gave on to his brother in law, that crooked bastard. A new millennium, and we still slaves to the masters. Pale tear to 30 years, denied parole. Denied a fair trial, that's just the way it goes. But the beat goes on for my ancestral drums. War, Peyton, AKs, devils, here we come. We'll never bow down, Mr. Bush will call you majesty. Pale tears, a political prisoner, we demand amnesty and immunity. From all my native communities, together we stand, divided we fall, we need unity. The struggle continues, never forget wounded knee. In 1890, over Lala, 1973, two of yours were killed compared to our millions. Your own damn people blown up government buildings. People live in glass houses, shouldn't throw stones. Pale tear, my brother, man, you are not alone. Doing time for a crime that you didn't commit. The government is guilty of more names. Murder one, theft, false imprisonment and rape, trespassing, strong arm robbery and hate, kidnapping, slavery and other hate crimes. You think I hate your people just because you hate mine? Medicine Bay, riding shotgun with Leonard and my warrior syndicate. Going to pick up his check for the wrongful imprisonment. It's a damn shame, isn't it? The justice is filthy. Where's the burden of proof innocent until proven guilty? Where is all the evidence? Release the hidden documents. You're sick on this land with the only true occupants. Listen, concentration, our lunar's reservations. We can't beat them with violence, we'll beat them with education. Take a nation of millions to hold me back, y'all. Together, we're unstoppable, divided, we fall. So that brings to my attention. What makes me feel ill Let's talk about a church on top of a hill Spill the lies when you try to expose the real movement It's a mental war and it leaves room for improvement The shoes fit you sellouts, you can get the hell out Free pale tear is what I'm gonna yell out Why do our people sway for the white man ways Where's your heart, my brothers, remember the good old days When we were all about the change, ancestors flipping in graves I'm a native pioneer, so a path I will Hey, spend 30 years of misery for my man LP. Why must he suffer when he's really not guilty? To all my warriors and pale tears lawyers, I pray to the creator, send my prayers out there for you. And shout goes out to the magnificent seven. And to all my warriors that are sitting up in heaven, to the innocent lives that were taken at wounded knee. Running with the buffalo, now you run free. To the murderers that killed, hope you're burning in hell. Pale tears. The spirits are with you every day I've been your sin Another smudge it all down about to smoke for my brother. I know you feel helpless, your prayers seem hopeless. Losing your focus, I'm praying when I smoke this. My sympathies go out to them too much families. The government should have been there since the fatalities. An innocent man 
has been rotting away. But the U.S. don't care, one of us has to pay. Just like the Pine Ridge Reservation still has to suffer. Making my people pay because of that murderer Custer. Like Floyd Westman said, he died for your sins. It was a battle the way it is, made the best man win. Think about manifest destiny, who gave you the ride? Abolish Indian people, hell yeah, we had to fight. Taking us and placing us in your prison camps. Have the nerve to say we're hostile and wipe us off the maps. Enslaving the blacks, took them from their motherland. And messing with the Mexican, that was their other plan. But understand, Mexico, they were all indigenous. And since the beginning of time, man, it's been continuous. I'm a Native American, American for which it stands. But what it stood for, I wonder if custody should pants. Remember the ghost dance, it was murder in the first. We never killed women. The children sitting up in church We were having ceremonies Practicing our religion Killing the innocent off Is it a government tradition? Poor the submissions And you may live in conditions I've seen a vision Landing walking out of prison Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Conscientization 101 Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, James Stone, Senior Editor for Conscientization 101. And what you heard at the top of the show just after our intro was a little something from our dear late brother, Kwame Ture. We felt what brother Kwame was saying was real, real pertinent information because he put the political formation of the U.S. political economic entity into its proper context of what it actually is. And what is it? What is it, you might say? A settler colonial polity. That's right. And a settler colonial polity is genocidal to indigenous inhabitants of a particular geographical territory. Let me give you an example. For instance, like... Uh, the United States, United States, Australia, Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand South, Africa, South Africa, known by our brothers and sisters brothers around the world as Zania, Canada, Canada Central, Central and South, and America. South America. America. I mean, these are all European settler colonies whose very existence, whose very existence literally seeks to exterminate the indigenous population. All right. It can't be nothing else. 
It's not how you think about it. It's not how you just look at it. That's what the That's motherfucker, what is, motherfucker is. Okay? Okay. You can't sugarcoat it. And check this out. The first aforementioned selling the colonies, you know what I'm saying? The United States, Australia, New Zealand, uh, 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 South Africa were formed by the British. Now, I know Azania got some boars off in there. Those are the, those are the white folks from uh, the, uh, the Netherlands, the Dutch, and all them. They had the Boer War. You know what that was? Y'all probably think that's a video game and shit. No. That was between the English and the Dutch fighting over our shit in Azania. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go with the creative geniuses of European uh, intellectual philosophy, what they named it. South Africa. South Africa. Wow. Wow. Damn, ain't you smart. Damn, ain't you smart. South Africa. South Africa. Ooh. Gotta love that Gotta creative love that Western creative genius Western there, right? Genius there, right? Hmm. Okay. And the latter two mentioned uh, colonies, that's, uh, you know, like Central and South America, were colonized by the Europeans, who are the Latin Europeans, you know what I'm saying? That meaning uh, uh, Latin-speaking Europeans. I would call it Ibero-America, because check it out. That's that's the Spanish and the Portuguese, in case you don't know, and also you know the French in the in the in the what's known as the Caribbean. Okay, because check it out, we be saying, oh, Latin America, Latin America, man, don't y'all know Latin in, in Italy? Okay, y'all need to understand world politics. Okay, some of y'all uh uh just think this is the most important election ever. Y'all know nothing. Y'all say that's Latin America. Why is it Latin America? Why is it Latin America? They ain't speaking Latin. Latin is dead language. Latin is in Italy. Latin say, mamma mia, get my pizza. Okay? That's Latin America. That's Italy. That's Italy is Latin, where Latin come from, okay? But, was, but what was Italy in its time, in its heyday? It colonized Europe. Oh, did it do that? Yeah. Yeah. It sent its troops all over, okay? To the Iberian Peninsula, okay? And... And, and also what is known as France and those languages is what is what derived from those inhabitants in Iberian Peninsula and where France was, they derived and intermingled with the Latin language. And those Latin are called those languages are called Romance languages. So that's a colonial relationship right there. And Spanish, Portuguese, and French is seen as a vulgar form of the original Latin. So, so is uh, uh, Italian. It's seen as a vulgar form of the original Latin. I'm giving y'all, y'all think, y'all think uh, language lessons ain't got nothing to do with political power, don't y'all? See, y'all didn't know that. They didn't teach you that in, in, in when y'all went to high school. That's when, when you had to take Spanish and you still can't speak it. Don't be coming up to me talking about La Montaquilla. What you talking about butter for? Okay. But it's all political economy. So Iberio-America was colonized by Europeans from the Iberian Peninsula and also as well as France. So now, okay, I said Australia, right? Okay, so check this out. So the Americas, right? And the two Oceania countries I mentioned, guess what they were established for under set of colonialism? I just said Europeans, right? So they was developed for white folks. Okay? I'm not making this up, y'all. Like, why you have to bring up race? You the one who made the shit up, white boy. It was done for you. 
This is your doing. That's why it's holes in the ozone layer and shit. You wasn't even supposed to be in this motherfucker. Okay? You're the one who developed trying to bring your cold culture over, over here. Because y'all had problems with your mama and them back home. And y'all had to settle and shit. You know what I'm saying? And what is important to note is this extermination and assimilation, the exterminated and assimilated, are one and the same in protecting the character of these polities. Let me let me give you an example of that. Well, you say, well, no, it's good now because now I can wear blonde hair and blue contacts and I'm just like them. Yeah, that's right. You serving them. You've stopped making history because all you do is follow. Okay? That's all you do is follow. You don't have an original thought. That's why you saying this is the best and most important election of the year. Negro? Negro? Okay? Ask you about Africa. You don't know how to do it. Ask you how to do your hair. Oh, I just think it's more manageable to wear a wig every day. Okay? Looking like Rick James and shit. Okay? That's all I got to say. So, that's... What it is, you assimilate, we exterminate. But you gonna serve the interest. This was built, this is the house of what Europe built. I ain't making this up. Just because you don't understand formations of how the political economy came to be based on slavery and colonialism. So the violence didn't happen way back then in the past. You know, buddy, that was way back then. We can't talk about now. It is a governing ethic of this settler colonial polity set up by the European invaders. That's why when they talk about Thanksgiving, they talking about them. That's why when they talking about uh, uh, Christmas, they talking about their holidays. It ain't got nothing to do with you. Ask somebody, what do you know about uh, the original indigenous inhabitants of this land? What is it called? Um, America? Um, um, Native Americans? The first? Uh, Atavistic Americans? Yeah, because all you know of this original inhabitants is nothing. You don't know nothing. All you know is what was built on the ruins of your settler colonial polity. And you you start history when they came over here, when they came over here. Just because we all celebrate Christmas now and love Jesus Christos doesn't mean we is free. That means you are protecting the structure of the society that oppresses you. So see, Kwame Torre was talking about the importance of having cultural continuity and understanding that African people are a nation and come from somewhere regardless of where we find ourselves now. And he uses the American Indian movement's Leonard Peltier as a sterling example of this, okay? American Indian movement member Leonard Peltier understood, understands the history of his people. Knowing this land is called Turtle Island, okay? It's his people's land. And is struggling for his people's right to live with dignity and sovereignty. He was wrongfully convicted of murder in 1977. So um, I had to say all that because the song that followed was from Free Leonard Peltier, Hip Hop's contribution to the Freedom Campaign album. That's that's what you heard immediately following uh, Brother Kwame Toure. And when we say that Brother Peltier was wrongfully convicted, this isn't just conjecture, okay? It's not conjecture. It's not like... Yeah, I know what y'all saying. Oh, y'all, y'all, you, you, you people of color. I don't even like that term. That's some made up shit. Like, first of all, when you say people of color, it automatically ascribes the normative of people with no color, white folk. And then it automatically reduces, it automatically reduces and negates our nationality as if 
just because we got melanin, we all the same. Like we ain't got, we're not a nation. You know what I'm saying? I don't know where the people of color geographical territory is. I know where Africa is. I know where Turtle Island is. I know where Asia is. I know that Africans have an antagonistic historical relationship with Arabs. So to reduce us just to people of color doesn't recognize that uh, antagonism that we have and the slave trade they engaged in in Africa before the Europeans got into it. So watch out, because we are fighting for nationality, not on some color thing and universalism of white European culture. But they wouldn't say that. They just call it universalism and the highest evolution of humanity, which is Europe. <laughs> just happens to be that. Again, you're protecting that structure. You're protecting that structure. And how do they do this? But by violence. Okay? That's how they do it. All right, like we said again, it's not conjecture. And the reason why is because we've been doing study for a long time now. And one of the brothers who put us up on what was happening with the American Indian movement and knows about settler colonialism and Brother Peltier's case was, was. Ward Churchill. Churchill. Okay, I know I, I, I'm going to say Ward. That's Ward Churchill's is his slave name. It's his colonial name. Okay, I'm going to try to pronounce one of the names I heard off this CD I had called In a Pig's Eye. He said, he said his indigenous name is Kenis and Kize Nibe. Uh, yeah, I hope I said that right, Ward, when you listening to this. Okay, that actually, Kenis means uh, little golden eagle, and I think a Kize Nibe, kind-hearted man. And you got to be kind-hearted when you riding against these beasts like that. These colonizing, colonizing motherfuckers. Okay? Cause they, you, they be talking about, oh, they killed the babies. Uh, what were they talking about? Uh, 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 while back, talking about in Nigeria, talking about all oh, the girls was kidnapped. Well, hell, they done kidnapped the whole nation. We, you, you know where we is? We in Brazil. <laughs> we in the United States. Don't come to me talking that kidnap shit. Everybody know. Uh, I didn't come over here on no Nina or the Pinta. Shit, talking kidnap. Y'all motherfucker, y'all. Man, I tell you, boy, U.S. imperialism. These white folks come up with some. Yeah, and it was under a Negro. It was under the Negro tool. Like I said, they will co-opt and assimilate you, okay? that's. I'm sorry, y'all. I know y'all was happy because y'all thought y'all stepped into history like I was saying before because you saw a black a black president of the United States in the White House. Goddamn, that don't even sound right now, do it. Don, need, I, need I go on? I'm going to go on talking about War Churchill, okay? So... Ladies and gentlemen, we are happy to announce today, if you also heard from the last podcast episodes, that we will be playing excerpts from part one of our dialogues between our dear, sagacious brother, Ward Churchill, and Conscientization 101, about his book, book, book. Wielding Words Like Weapons. Selected Essays in Indigenism, 1995-2005. Now, we entitled these dialogues Wielding Words Like Weapons with Ward Churchill. Okay, these dialogues took place over the course of two days. You know, this was because, as you, as you know, you know what I'm saying, we don't ask any puerile, sycophantic, genuflecting questions like, Ward, did you choose the path or did the path choose you? You know, 
if y'all can go to other other shows like that where we just focus on in the individual and within the individuals born the truth and they have royal blood and shit like that some kind of monarch monarch theocratic system that the great one will come and save all of humanity get that european hero shit away from here this is not marvel comics and this motherfucker okay we deal with the people because superman as kwame ture said only exists in the minds of hollywood writers either we all get free or we all don't get free it's as simple as that Ain't no one person going to be born with the truth. Y'all got this damn Messiah complex. When I say Brother Ward has done the work, it's because he's an amalgamation of the best of his people's work and struggle against this damn colonizing beast. It ain't because Ward was born with some kind of special blood or some shit like that. Y'all need to get over this superhero shit real quick and fast. Gonna get a lot of you motherfuckers killed. You want you want to protect yourself? Get knowledge and, and protect yourself with your people, okay? But you got to have the right theory so you can do the informed practice. That's conscientization, baby. All right. Now, like I said, we don't be asking no puerile, genuflecting questions. We don't genuflect. I want y'all to look up genuflect, okay? It's because we study. We don't genuflect. That shit sound like some R. Kelly accused of genuflecting. You know, ah. Mr. Kelly, did you genuflect? How? That's all he can say. See what do? See what happens when an imperialism get a hold of you? You know, genuflecting, you will be genuflecting. Okay, but we don't be genuflecting. All right. We ask informed questions, so they gonna. It's gonna take a little time. You know what I'm saying? It's gonna take a little time to get it out because we don't. We don't ask them type of questions. And Brother Water, I mean, he appreciated the thought put into the question, so. Since we were running short on time on the on the on the first uh, day, uh, we decided to uh, on the first session we decided to set up a time for uh, another day. So these dialogues took place on September fifteenth, twenty eighteen, and October twenty seventh, twenty eighteen, for a combined time of over six hours of dialogue. Yes, we were wielding words like weapons for show. Well, all right. So what you're about to hear today are excerpts from that first dialogue we had on September 15th, 2018, which came in at about two hours. But guess what? You're not going to hear the whole two hours of the dialogue, just the excerpts. But don't worry. As we always do, we tell you how to get the unabridged dialogue at the end of the show. Okay? So what we want to uh, do right now is go into a little bit about Brother Ward Churchill right now. All right, y'all, check this out. Ward Churchill is really someone who needs no introduction. He's written... If I was to <laughs> sit here and try to abbreviate and abridge everything he's done, that would be a show within itself. So I'm just going to keep it simple and just tell you, like we said earlier, his work's been very profound uh, for our revolutionary political formations here at Conscientization 101. As mentioned earlier, we got to know about the injustice done to Brother Leonard Peltier, in depth from reading the book Ward, uh, co-author with Jim Vanderwall called Agents of Repression, the FBI's Secret Wars Against the Black Panther Party and the American Indian Movement. You know, this is the book that um, really informed us about COINTELPRO. That, you know, you know, I'd heard the word in passing um, 
like in my early 20s. You know what I'm saying? Everybody always said, yeah, the government destroyed the Panthers. But I heard the word, um, you know, when I got out of college and I was uh, teaching, when, when I was talking to his brother, who was older than me, he had went to like uh, Morehouse and he was late. So he had, he told me a little bit about it and told me about it, talked about it because he had like read more books than I had. And so I learned about the Panthers. I learned about George Jackson from him. But when I really got into what COINTELPRO was, I, it was from this book, War. I mean, it is like painstakingly documented. They paint a perfect picture, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's really detailed. He talks about George Jackson. He talks about the formation of the FBI. William Sullivan, you need to know that name. J. Edgar Hoover, some of you already know that name. Uh, I mean, what they did to uh, the American Indian Movement, um, you know, Leonard Peltier, um, just so much stuff. Um, you know, like I said, this is just from one book. And also, you know, it, it, that's why, you know, that book, um, I was finally able to get the book because I got like this book. We got this book like a long time ago. And I've recently, you know, I reread the book. And now that I've, I read the book in my late, late 20s. And so then when I read it again, it, and after I'd done all this other study and had experiences now at the ripe age of, ripe young age of 41, it's like, wow, this is, I understand it a lot more and I'm, you know, and it's always good when you read and you're, you know, you're not reading for a class or reading for something. I need to get an A. When you read because you're really trying to understand, because like I take, we take really extensive notes when we read. And, you know, that's another thing about Ward's work. He, you know, has those footnotes. And that's from those footnotes, you know, that, you know, I was able to learn about Bury My Heart and Wounded Knee, you know, that book, you know, stuff like that. And so I say all that to say this, you know, he got works such as uh, that I learned about called Armed Struggle in Africa with the Gorillas in Portuguese Guinea by Gerard Chanlin. I don't know how to say that. his name is, is Gerard. Gerard. So it's a French name. Gerard. And the last name is C-H-A-L-I-A-N-D. And I, we learned about that book from a footnote in uh, his book, one of his books, Pacifism as Pathology, Reflections on the Role of Armed Struggle in North America. It's just to name a few. He's a very prolific writer, and he's not just a writer. He engages in a political work, too, so that's, that has to be said as well. And just as we open the show with Brother Kwame's point about this being a settler colony, Ward's work is always correctly centered within this analysis, you know, him being an American Indian, which allows, you know, you to properly understand that the United States continues its policy of extermination of American Indian nations as a consequence of the U.S. being a settler colonial polity. You know what I'm saying? That's what the U.S. is the creation of these Europeans that came over here and invaded. And what Brother Warren knows also, it's not something that can be resolved with a reform. Okay? It's not a question of so-called bad white folks and good white folks. Or, to get more political, uh, a bad colonizer or a good colonizer. You know, what we're talking about here is the subjugation of a nation of a people. And that can't be resolved with individual rights in the colonizer setup, okay? Because that means assimilation and extermination, which means death. And it leads you into the white abyss. Like I said, you will serve them. You will come into being with them. Franz Fanon said it best on page 81 of Toward the African Revolution Colonialism is not a type of individual relations, but the conquest of a national territory and the oppression of a people. That is all. 
think about that. So when we start talking about, oh, it's just that individual, he's sick in the head. No, it's the whole colonizing, the whole settler colonial society is racist because it exists. It has to be that way. It oppresses. It stole the national territory from the American Indians in the U.S. I'm talking about the U.S. I ain't even got to go to South America, but it did that first. That's what, you know, Columbus didn't come to Washington, D.C. He didn't go to Virginia Colony, okay? We keep forgetting that, right? So my, my, and what my point is being, it's, that's what it is going to be. And the American Indians are, it's known that they were nations. It's recognized in the U.N. that they have certain sovereignty. Yeah, right. That's just on paper, right? Because when we get to flexing, you know the U.S., what the U.S. do, okay? And so because they, the conquest of your national territory, you might be saying, well, what, you see, you know, uh, we, what does that mean for us black folks? See, I'm over here now, so I, I, I get, as we've been taught, I ain't got no national territory. What did Kwame Turin say? We ain't got no nation. Uh, let me tell you something. Let me, I'm going to get real quick. Let me, let me show you how this dialectical process comes about. Let me show you that dialectical analysis. Because they were there, we're here. If they weren't out conquering and destroying African polities in Africa, guess what? They wouldn't have shipped us here. Because they were over there doing that, they could ship us over here and colonize us in another land. Yeah, if you look up in the book, they won't say that, oh, you're colonized. You just have a racial problem. Of course, they ain't going to tell you the proper term under which they oppress you, fool. They want your ass. Figuratively and literally, if you watch all these nasty pervert shows they got on nowadays. So it's not about so-called varying degrees of racism. And again, I will quote Fanon from the same book. Race prejudice, in fact, obeys a flawless logic. A country that lives, draws its substance from the exploitation of other peoples, make those peoples inferior. Race prejudice applied to this people is normal. And we repeat, every colonialist group is racist. All right, that's on Toward the African Revolution, France Fanon, page 40, 41. And now check this out. The first thing the colonizers would do is to say this. The first thing he's going to say is, you ain't a people. You know what I'm saying? What they say is, you aren't really African. You've been here too long. All the Native Americans have been civilized. They have mixed blood. And you know, it's the oppressor's sleight of hand. That's what they do. It's just their little sleight of hand because they have to deny you exist as a distinct national formation. You know what I'm saying? So they And, and say you share a common culture with them. How you share a common culture? You ain't come over here uh, uh, because... Uh, 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 you was oppressed by European kings and queens and monarchs. You bathe every day. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Them Europeans, they, they was they was funky. You know? Why you think they over there get taking all our shea butter right now? Dove soap. Y'all know Dove, a lever company. Read Walter Rodney, how Europe underdeveloped Africa. We was the first to be so fresh and so clean, clean. You see what I'm saying? Now they gonna give us back soap. Your funky ass. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, I, I meant to say Unilever. Same thing. Lever, Unilever. You better leave her this African alone. Damn it. So they'll tell you that shit. They'll say we have a common culture so they continue to exploit your ass. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and what do us as the colonizers do? 
we are taken out of making history for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? We only try to be the first in their system, the first Negro president, the first African with blue contacts and blonde hair, basically to serve them. You see what I'm saying? Blonde hair ain't doing your hair no kind of good anyway. You know what I'm saying? That's a Nordic trait. Don't come talking. See, you've been culturally misoriented when you say, oh, I'm just having fun and trying to do all, trying to, trying to be different. But every different thing you do leads you back to Europe. How'd that be? When you try to be an individual, you end up doing everything talking about, I, I want to go to Paris. It's, it's, it's so romantic. If I got, you, hey, check this out. Ask Fanon if you wanted to go back to Paris. God damn it. Y'all talking all this shit. Uh, and you know, it's just so classy in London. Okay? Ask Chin Weizu what he think about classy London. That's right. All right. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm digressing. But I, but I hope y'all really understand what I'm trying to put down here. Because Brother Ward understands what I'm putting down. He understands because his work and his, and his practice reflects that. You see what I'm saying? Because what he does in his work is what the colonizer wants to be Byzantine with, with empirical data and he what he does is places it Ward does is places it into a proper context so that you know us as colonized people arrive at our own worldview and that's the first step to getting free okay you have to think diametrically opposed to your enemy you can't be won't you can't and let me tell you I know this is a hard hard thing to do you know, when I say diametrically opposed, that means you can't have black Santa Claus, okay? Santa Claus was not an African. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Rudolph, the red-nosed Nazi, was probably sniffing a lot of coke. That's why his nose was red Sorry, we you, you think we were singing that in Africa? You think we even celebrate the same holidays? You see, that's how they get you staying with them with the culture. That's how they can keep a slave. They can't keep doing it with guns and guns and guns and guns because after a while, you're just going to fight. So what they do is they do, a little, they do a little violence, but they get you with the culture. They do a little violence, culture. They hitting you with all angles with that, okay? But once you assert your culture, you say, hey, if we are people who live, let's say, in a socialistic way, meaning that we don't try to capitalize and dog eat dog off everybody then guess what that means that means in order to live this way we're gonna have to organize ourselves and guess what we can't all do and have our own families and think about my own individual self and that's freedom you know when negroes say that they always say this you know i'm struggling for my people because i'm doing what's best for me i don't heard that more than once if i heard if i had a dollar for every time i heard that one anyway okay now since there is so much more we can say about Brother Ward, and we know you want us to get on with the show because I've been rambling, you know what I'm saying? What we're going to do here is tell you a little bit more about Ward's perspicuous book, Wielding Words Like Weapons, Selected Essays in Indigenism, 1995 through 2005. Wielding Words Like Weapons is a collection of acclaimed American Indian movement activist intellectual Ward Churchill's Essays in Indigenism, selected from material written during the decade 1995 through 2005. It includes a range of formats from sharply framed book reviews and equally pointed polemics and op-eds to more formal essays designed to reach both scholarly and popular audiences. 
The selection also represents the broad range of topics addressed in Churchill's scholarship, including the fallacies of archaeological and anthropological orthodoxy, such as the insistence of quote-unquote cannibalologists that American Indians were traditionally man-eaters. Hollywood's cinematic degradations of native people, questions of American Indian identity, the historical and ongoing genocide of North America's native peoples, and the systematic distortion of the political and legal history of U.S. Indian relations. Less typical of Churchill's au revoir are the essays commemorating Cherokee anthropologist Robert K. Thomas and Yankton Sioux legal scholar and theologian Vine Deloria Jr. More unusual is his profoundly personal effort to come to grips with the life and death of his late wife, Leah Renee Kelly, thereby illuminating in very human terms the grim and lasting effects of Canada's residential schools upon the country's indigenous peoples. A forward by Seneca historian Barbara Alice Mann describes the sustained efforts by police and intelligence agencies as well as university administrators and other academic adversaries to discredit or otherwise quote-unquote neutralize both the man and his work. Also included are both the initial quote-unquote stream of consciousness versions of Churchill's famous or notorious quote-unquote Little Eichmann's opinion piece analyzing the causes of the attacks on 9-11, as well as the counterpart essay in which his argument was fully developed. All right, so now you know just a, a tip of the iceberg of what this phenomenal work is all about. Again, it's over 500 pages, okay? So that's, like I said, it's a tip of the iceberg. That's why you gotta get the book. Now, another reason you guys need to check out this work is that for those of you who may have not have engaged in uh, Ward Churchill's work before, this book uh, we feel is an excellent entry point because it's a compilation of his writings over the years. And you know, you know, we like we say we methodically study, and we feel like you know, it's a good strategy and saving money when you have an author that is extremely pro prolific, like Brother Ward, and has a plethora of books out there. You know, it's very convenient if you uh, get a reader like this, you know, a reader being a compilation of the writer's uh, uh, work. And, you know, so like back in the day, whenever we encountered, uh, you know, an author similar to, to like Ward, who had a lot of books, and then they had, uh, like like we just said, a reader or something like that, we, we would go and do this. We would go and go to this work first because... First of all, you get a feel of the writer's overall politics, especially since it's like a compilation and it shows his writings through the years. So that's one thing. You also get a, a sense of their writing style. You know, do they use uh, good footnotes? Do you have a, a, a bibliography and stuff like that? Do they use charts and stuff like that to convey their, their opinion? This is a writing style. And, and, and secondly, you get, to, you get to hear their overall voice. You know what I'm saying? Like how, like how they, how they, how they uh, 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 convey information. Like, like Brother Ward's voice, I would describe as like epigrammatic and trenchant. You know what I'm saying? Just like Chin Weizu. I would describe Chin Weizu. I would describe Yikwe Omar like that. You know, those they know how to lay it down. They lay it down, lay it down. Yeah, y'all, y'all know the rest. Y'all know the rest of that song. But anyway, um, yeah, that, that, that's what I would describe uh, the writing as. So if you haven't gotten this book, 
We know you're going to get it after today. Okay, all right now. Let's get into what we'll be discussing on this episode with Brother Ward, shall we? Shall we? The importance of cultural understanding, the reading and examining political economy, the concept of understanding the past to shape the future, defining of the term indigenism, the political implications of the blood relations between African and American Indians, and much more. And much more. Oh, what has happened? What, what has happened? Now we are in the war zone. Yes, we are in the war zone. So now, get ready because we are about to present to you, it's about to go down, Ward Churchill in Conscientization 101, Wielding Words Like Weapons Part 1 is going down now. All right, we are here with Ward Churchill. This has been a long time coming. I didn't even see this thing was going to happen. You just know how things get put together. How are you doing today, my brother Ward Churchill? I am doing well. How are you? Sound I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing well. We are doing good. I want to jump right in to uh, the questions because... I mean, people, listening audience, you will not be able, this is just an addendum. This is just a supplement. Back in the day, I don't know if the kids got them now. They call them cliff notes when I was coming up. This is the cliff notes. Y'all going to have to get this book, this 568-page book, okay? Because I can't go into the sovereignty packages that he goes into, and then y'all try to link it up with John Bolton getting on the ICC now. An ICC, which is an upstart. You know, I'm like my hoppy brothers and sisters. I don't recognize their legitimacy, too. This is from one African to my Indian hoppies over there. We don't recognize them anyway. But I got that from Ward's book, you see? But can't scratch the surface. But the first question we want to go talk about. You gave a talk about your book, Wielding Words Like Weapons, Selected Essays in Indigenism, at Red Emma's Bookstore, which aired on C-SPAN 2 on September 21st, 2017. And we want to start our dialogue by discussing one of the comments at a Q&A session. One of the participants asked you, the, well, I think it was the first question asked you, he said, how did you develop your revolutionary consciousness? And you stated, quote, waking up one morning in Southeast Asia and finding myself on the wrong side <clears throat> of a colonial war. On, uh, as a constantly identifying American Indian, uh, finding myself being sent out to what everybody there called Indian country, end mm-hmm. quote. You go on to say, you jokingly said, you were actually one of those uh, uh, weird people, in quotes, uh, that actually read things. And I, both editors, Zari and myself, have been called Weird people that we actually read too much and we think too hard. Just get the, get out of school and do all this. That's what's, that's our problem. I've been told, that's my problem, because I, I take seriously the stuff I read. What the hell is wrong with me? All right. Yeah, what is wrong with you? I, I'm trying, Ward. I'm <laughs> trying. Mental problems, right? I'm, I'm trying. Focus on something for more than 15-second intervals. My God. <laughs> oh, <is that> American? <laughs> Your book title implies the importance of using language 
and writing to build a critical consciousness in colonized people. Can you talk about the importance of reading and writing as one of the most fundamental weapons of colonized people to produce a liberatory Weltanschung? Well, I don't know about Weltanschung. <laughs> Some evil connotations. <laughs> worldview. Some worldview. Bad, bad people use that that term as a term of the art, but okay, it just basically means worldview. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and a libertarian worldview, in my mind, is is simply to see things insofar as humans are capable. And that varies from individual to individual to a certain extent, but there's a general capacity as accurately as possible, okay, that contextualizes what it is that's happening or you're witnessing at any given moment. And that requires an understanding of history and understands a, pro uh, a broad understanding of culture, process. Very seldom can anything be viewed as a singular event, yes. okay? It's all part of a package. But old man said to me, long time back, you've been talking about, you know, the effect I've had on your consciousness by virtue of reading. Well, this was actually a direct interaction, which happens in traditional cultures. Mm -hmm. And I won't go through the whole conversation, but what was key to it was that you needed to understand understanding in terms of liking it to something you're familiar with if you're not used to really critically engaging in the way we're talking about. This happened in South Dakota. So he said, you know, it's like if you're traveling across these plains, kind of like being on the ocean. And the way you find your place where you are at any given moment is usually by referring back, looking back over your shoulder, so to speak, at the last landmark that you passed, be that a hill or a rock formation or even a tree sometimes out there, mm -hmm. okay? That'll orient you to where you are, and only by understanding where you are in relation to where you've been can you figure out which direction you need to go in order to get to your destination. So we all talking about liberation, but with no apprehension of the historical reality that put us in our present circumstance. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand that, you don't really understand the circumstance. You don't really necessarily know where you are. Mm -hmm. Absent that information, you can struggle all you want. And even in most serious fashion, not in some symbolic or ritualized fashion that <laughs> It's designed not to really have impact, but to make a display of your intrinsic goodness or whatever. <laughs> you know? Only in that understanding, connecting the past to the present, can you really figure out your trajectory to arrive at a desirable goal in the future. Okay. So basically, he said, that's a problem. This is in the context of the American Indian movement stuff. There's literally a counterinsurgency war going on. Mm -hmm. You know, in a way of saying, you guys are brave, you know, and I admire your spirit and your struggle and all that, but you are never going to win. And the reason you're never going to win is because you don't understand your history. You don't know mm -hmm. your history. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And that really struck me. And out of his whole life, and he was at that time about 80 years old, name was Matthew King. He's old Glala Lakota, elder assistant to Poolscrow, who was principal traditional headman. You know, every level of his existence was not just resistance, but affirmation of the tradition, okay, an alternative to the reality we're struggling against. He was living the alternative, it was not the alternative with this capital T. There's a number, a range, pretty vast range, if you will, of specific alternatives come out of specific traditions. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's, it's understanding who you are in that context, and that's why I say it, cultural understanding. But it needs to be broader than a specific culture because there's connections between these cultures and traditions that can be unifying mm-hmm. if we understand them. But to understand them, we have to examine them. The thing you said about reading strikes me because most of us are cut off from those traditional settings. Mm-hmm. We weren't cut off from them, given the state of things as they presently are. Those traditions would no longer exist. They'd be buried. Okay, so in a way, that's a defensive shield, kind of a natural, a prophylactic, if you will, that allows them to remain in being. These are living cultures. They're not classrooms. But this instruction is inseparable part of how they function. So if you're in that context, you can learn that way through transmission from the elders to the younger and uh, the younger to their children, you have this continuity between intergenerational knowledge. But absent that immediate proximity, how do you approach it? Well, you know, in a way, it's an imposition of a particular culture, this That's literary right. culture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. except that gets lost in the shuffle. It's not the only literate culture either. Exactly. A lot of the so-called preliterate cultures were perfectly literate. Mm-hmm. They just had, had different systems of writing and so forth. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know personally how pervasive that is on a global scale between all cultures, but there's a r- whole range of cultures that are kind of denied literacy. To become literate is you get run through schooling which is an indoctrination process and taught this specific form mm-hmm. of literacy, okay, mm-hmm. which comes to monopolize the meaning of the term, and that, that's a falsehood. Mm-hmm. We need to understand that inaccuracy. I cannot read uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics, for example, but I know they're there. Right. That's right. People who can read them and do read them and translate them well, the only way I'm going to apprehend any aspect of that is by, re- by reading it in the translation. Mm-hmm. So that's why for, it's an example, but nonetheless, it points to why it's imperative. And you're not going to get that off of Facebook. That's right. 
Okay, you're not going to get that on Twitter. (laughs) You're not going to get that on, uh, I don't know what the others, there's a whole raft of them out (laughs) there. And a bunch of news speak. to one another about what they already know or think they know. Yes. Mm -hmm. They really need to understand what it is they think they know. That's right. It's going to take more than these little increments. Mm -hmm. That's right. right. Sound bites or visual bites or bits or twits or tweets or whatever (laughs) requires some focus, some concentration, some immersion in the subject matter. That's right. You need to take it somewhat seriously. It's not a news Mm -hmm. thing. The weekly reader or whatever. I remember that from grade school. Now, I probably just dated myself. Nobody's heard of the weekly reader anymore, I'm (laughs) sure. But that's what we always had. little uh, exposure to the world. (laughs) <laughs> you should have heard my uh, grade school teachers in Outback, Illinois, trying to pronounce those African names when, you know, <laughs> I was still in grade school when the Congo happened and all that, right? Decolonization <laughs> right. of the Congo. Yeah. Touchon Bay. Touchon Bay. Hey, I ain't going to lie. When I first read it back when I was about to, I said, is that Touchon Bay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was in retrospect kind of entertaining. They were, I suppose, doing the best they can, but it was a display of the profound ignorance. That's right. That mm-hmm. suddenly something outside the box of Eurocentrism pops up of That's necessity. Right. They had no idea how to cope with it. Mm-hmm. And then they say course, it's inferior. But they can't say <laughs> that it. is part of the world <laughs> where there's a town. Because there were some Spanish team up through there at some point or another. There's a town, San Jose, okay, which is San Jose, Illinois. And it's actually a civil offense to mispronounce it. They'll warn you once. They'll find <laughs> time you actually pronounce it properly. Uh-huh. And it's an example from the area where I grew up. But mm-hmm. capital of the state of South Dakota is Pierre. You look at it, it's Pierre in the Belfouche River, <laughs> um, and so on. It's just an insistent um, distortion, mm-hmm. you know, a deliberate discounting distortion, um, the meaning of anything different, even between Anglophones and Francophile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. That is true. <laughs> that's a struggle in its own right to sort of break through those barriers yeah you know? i know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is so true i never really was able to uh get my parents because force of habit they said it all that lies that martinez was martinez not martinez <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> so, you know, we wanted to talk about, from there, the term indigenism within the title of the book. And yeah. you, Franz Fanon, Albert Memmi, Paula Freire, these are all people, like like we said, you have to immerse yourself in the subject matter <laughs> to know who these people are. But, you know, uh, many other people, they've elucidated the point that destroying a people's indigenous culture, just like you mentioned, is the necessary requisite to colonize, i.e. dominate a people. And since we understand that this is necessary, 
It follows that the only way to develop viable and liberatory political po- projects is to understand our true culture, which is what you just said. Can yeah. you talk about the term indigenism and how you use it in the book? Well, it goes specifically to, to taking the, uh, the rights, for lack of a better term, that's the term of the discourse, and well-being of indigenous peoples, first peoples, okay, always referred to as primitive peoples, but if you look at primitive, it simply means first, okay? Those issues as first priority. And that's based on a premise that, well, we're all familiar with the first, second, third world paradigm. Mm -hmm. It was laid out in a couple variations. One more or less, Van Dung in 1955, although it pre-exists that. And the second with the three worlds, three worlds theory of Mao Zedong about 20 odd years later, if memory serves. Anyway, a couple decades on down the line, he comes up with three worlds. So it's kind of a reformulation, revision, if you will, of the, the three worlds theory. Simply put, that comes down to a first world, which is the, the capitalist, so-called self-styled, whatever, a free world, okay? The, again, so-called self-styled Western democratic countries, all right? And those aligned with them are directly subordinated by them, so you have a block. Second world is essentially the Soviet bloc, okay? So then you have this tension as to whether China's part or not part of that, which becomes increasingly an issue after, uh, say, 1960. Really wasn't that much of an issue in 1955 in the original formulation of this. And then you have this non-aligned world. It's neither capitalist nor communist, okay, but generally been colonized by the first world is decolonizing, but is going to strike an independent uh, third way posture. So that's associated with Nehru and um, Sukarno. And you've got Chairman Lai entering in picture trying essentially to co-opt it to um, not alignment means alignment with us. Um, <laughs> that notion, <laughs> which ultimately manifests in the mouse reformulation, but yep. you know, Okay, the premise here is that there's a fourth world that's never mentioned, and that fourth world is composed of the indigenous nations, okay, which exist around the globe, upon whose territory and with whose resources and at ultimately whose expense all three of the other three are constructed Mm -hmm. and don't want to talk about, Mm -hmm. which is really significant in terms of defining little things like colonialism and imperialism and now what if if we're anti-imperialists and uh, anti-colonialists what does that mean when you're talking about the society the settlers society or the whatever society existing squarely atop these people's territory and they end up what they end up colonized yeah so we can have liberation Without decolonization of those, which implies profound structural alterations and alterations in consciousness, mm-hmm. or our liber- liberated society is 
<laughs> colonial construction. That's right. Mm-hmm. So we would have to define imperialism as well, accordingly. Mm-hmm. So are we anti-imperialist and anti-colonialist or simply desirous of a different form of imperialism? That's right. Form of <laughs> colonialism that, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're self-co-opting in terms of liberatory strategy unless we're cognizant of that. So taking the indigenous peoples, that fourth world, is a first priority, not the sole priority, mind you. Mm-hmm. You know, first priority doesn't mean only priority. Mm-hmm. And then arranging consciousness and agenda and priorities accordingly. Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. And priorities... Interesting, these dots all begin to connect after a while. Priorities are a hierarchy, dare I say the word. (laughs) Everyone, I don't know, 15 years ago, again, I'm dating myself, but it was uh, really fashionable to talk about opposing the hierarchy. Yeah, that that was the only one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I see hierarchies all around me. I know. But I think it was Terry Eagleton pointed that one out and said, you know, hierarchy uh, might resemble like a system of priorities. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you see that actually prioritization tends to have gotten lost in oppositional struggles. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that they end up, <laughs> what could be constructive movements, end up sitting there beating each other to death about found oppressions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, these oppressions don't, exists, but unless there is a construction of priorities, which is the most significant or more significant, Mm -hmm. all things being equal, any oppression equals any other oppression, so that, you know, a sexist remark near the water cooler ends up being equivalent to genocide, for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't deny your oppression. I just deny that it's parallel or as significant as this other oppression. That's and I right. want to take the more significant oppression as a priority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But to be totally erased from consideration is about as oppressed as you can get. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hence my argument to indigenism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, and... Um... I think I, I really like what because that's you pretty you said kind of the same thing you said in that C-SPAN uh, talk, First Nations first priority, and you flipped it yeah. around First People first priority. Yeah, and I you know you really people like that's a good. It's always like when I when in coming to my uh, African centeredness as a kid going to a, a school termed Robert E. Lee Elementary, Robert E. Lee, and they want they made us try to sing the Confederate a Confederate song. When I was a little, a little kid, and I always, you know, one of the things that would help me understand my African citizenship was where the indigenous people were, because this was their home, and they tried to talk about them like they were dead, which I came to find out later they're very much alive, right? Yeah. But the, the, the thing about it is, is in, in Africa, I feel the same way. We got First Nations in Africa. We, and like you said, yes. there's people there. And that's our, and us in the diaspora, we the first people of Africa, and over here, where do you know? You, I've heard people say, "Well, the white folks made us build some." Just go to white folks made you build some, fool. Don't mean it's your, it's your, it's your nation, <laughs> it's your land. 
That white man made you build on somebody else's stuff. So they did the same thing. Don't try to claim that. That's like a new type of, uh, you trying to fit yourself into the American paradigm and what you trying to do. And like you said, uh, the Europeans had contradictions in their own societies. And to offload those uh, uh, contradictions, they never really cured them. They just sent their human refuge over and, uh, and, and colonized and, and tried to work out their problems on other people. So when you're at the water cooler, like you said, that kind of helped, uh, kind of made me remind me of, they're ta still talking about those continuous contradictions in their own culture where they got a problem with women, and then they try to make uh -huh. it, make that our problem, all of our problem. But I'll get into that later. I'm sorry. I don't. Anybody you don't need to be sorry. Like I said, these these points all connect. Mm -hmm. and yeah. That's mm -hmm. the reason I say it needs. It requires some immersion rather than sound bites. It's a fragmentary picture of the of the world. You need to begin to attain some coherence, and that requires a little effort. Yeah, it does. But it also requires a little interest, and we're trained exactly. not to be interested, too. You exactly. know, part of the stimulation and the indoctrination goes to being disinterested in critical engagement. And consider the educational process. Mm -hmm. You know, what passes as education is being continuously fed a stream of answers to questions you've never had an opportunity to pose. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Critical <laughs> engagement has to do with generating questions, you know. What does this mean? Well, no, so here, true. let me give you the 15-second easily oh digestible yes. answer to it. Yes. And let's see if you can memorize those answers so that you can regurgitate them properly. On a test form, okay, you're done with this phase. Next, mm -hmm. that's getting passed on, mm -hmm. and that goes really all the way through the PhD. Yeah, because what's the PhD? It's a process by which you're taught to anticipate, you know, what the committee members, their points of view, are going to be with the subject matter, which they usually help you select, but. You can select your own, but you have to tailor your work and the conclusions drawn from it in a manner acceptable to, okay, so they're teaching you to do what has been done to you heretofore through elementary and middle school and high school and most often your undergraduate work as well. Mm -hmm. At the graduate level, you get to do it to yourself, <laughs> and they'll test you on how well you did that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the final process. So the most indoctrinated people, really, by and large, are those carrying the doctorate. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And if there's a phonetic resemblance there, maybe that's not coincidental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've met several. We've met a, we've met a plethora. <laughs> they don't know how to solve a problem, pose a problem, but you know, because everything is worked out for them. And one of the things, like you said, the things going back, you know, like reading. And critically engaging. We're not talking about, like as uh, Fieri said, uh, merely intellectualizing or theorification yeah. or, or activism where you're not informed. The thing, the biggest problem we have is that we can't explain stuff in like 15 minutes because the lexicon upon which people have, they don't know. They don't know yeah. what we're talking. When I say set, this is a settled colonial polity. First, they're gonna say settled. What? What polity? What the hell are you talking about? And, and there. And what is a polity? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they don't know what um, I mean. Take the name for our website, Conscientization 101. Got uh, from Nkrumah and Fieri, right? People have told us, you know, maybe y'all could be more popular if you change your name, but we're not trying to be popular. The problem is, it's, 
it, they, it, you know, it's something wrong when this, when this now not knowing what conscientization and being familiar with your work, Fieri's work, Mimi's work. When y'all find, as Mimi says, comfort in your malaise when he talking about you just not. I I can't. I feel bad, and so I feel comfortable about it. In case anybody when they listen, they say, "What do you mean by comfort in your malaise?" I'm saying this is what y'all say. The liberals say, "Well, I feel bad about it. Damn it." Okay. <laughs> what do we do? Well, what do we do about it? <laughs> cautionary note, and then I want to come back to something. You're talking about the early Mimi. He recanted almost oh, everything. Oh, I know. Yeah. I, got the, I got that second yeah. book. I got that second book. He was talking about Chavez. But I was like, what is wrong with this yeah. cat, man? Well, I, I, I read two it. Two early was ones that were pretty good. Colonizer and the Colonizer, right. which is best known, but he also had Dominated Man. Uh, take out. Yeah, mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. That one's I don't think they've reprinted uh, Dominated Man. I've never, yeah, I've never read that one. I've never read that one. Yeah, that that one's pretty good as well. And it came out about the same period as Colonizer and the Colonizer. And then there's this big lapse. You don't hear anything more about I thought the guy died. And all of a sudden he starts coming out with stuff repudiating everything he'd he said. Basically. He sure did. Yeah. I, I so, read that book. People who are not familiar with me, me out there, you don't want any of the new stuff. Go right. to the old stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we have the specific reading. books that you should go to. Yeah, the, the book yeah. that was banned. Don't go to this. Don't go to that new one. That, you know how people do war? They say, "Ooh, let me go with the latest one," because that's a little bit too old. Uh, yeah. Well, because yeah. everybody's bent on having well, the new stuff, you yeah. know. Yeah, but I mean, there is that sort of visceral avoidance of historical. Mm-hmm. Anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're getting somebody else's synopsis of what somebody That's said right. thought. And if you have access to it, go to the source. Mm-hmm. What did the guy actually say and think? Or how do you deduce he was thinking in order to be saying this? Mm-hmm. Okay, how does that apply to you, your circumstance now? How, Given your understanding of the circumstances where you are back when he was writing, did it apply then and how? Analytical method. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to understand the world you inhabit a little bit. Yeah. I had that conversation recently with someone, and they were stuck in wanting to know or understand just what, well, recent modern history, you know. And I was like, well, you have to go all the way back. You have to go further back than just even, you know, what you understand Africa to be now, because those countries you know now are not real. You know, and they didn't, they did, they just refused to say, well, I want to talk about right now. I was like, well, I guess our conversation is over because you will never understand what's happening now if you don't understand the past. (laughs) I'm done talking to you. (laughs) Yeah. If you don't want to work with it a little bit, then, you know, I guess go off and play video games or whatever it is that, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. will train you to be an ace fighter pilot. I <laughs> know those video yeah. games. Huh. <laughs> I mean, you know, Pentagon actually peddles this stuff because oh yeah, mm-hmm. it facilitates certain kind of high and eye coordination and all mm-hmm. that. Vous estimez que la dette s'analyse d'abord de par ses origines. Les origines de la dette remontent aux origines du colonialisme. Ceux qui nous ont prêté de l'argent, ce sont ceux-là qui nous ont colonisés. Ce sont les mêmes qui géraient nos états et nos économies. Ce sont les colonisateurs qui endettaient l'Afrique au point de 
In a world that thinks the human instinct should be held back All of our wisdom, we should sell that Destroy the difference that we all have And make us cones for the phone for serving their agendas Even when we think we oppose, we're really their defenders Look at what is given to those who chose for their repentance To fold to the goddess of gold and be cold henchmen For spangled stars with banners that dangle cars as carrots Strangle Mars with cannons, mangle arms with malice And channel arms so callous and banish bars That challenge and challenge half the planet The great USA with a British dog on a leash, we are the bringers of peace Into the middle of East, you're invited to feast On the tasty flesh of a beast, might be someone seen What worry there is no need, we're intravenous to feed On dead carcasses, yeah they're starving Cause they wanted to own their own wealth and they are not part of us Most of the time I think of myself, I can palm it off Sometimes I think of the world, it gets me started off So, 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 what do we do now? Make ways to praise more than a few How? The fake maze, we kill it with a tool plow Or go back to the way we've always done it, huh? Whatever we do, there's always gonna be division Whatever we do, there'll always be a feast religion Whatever we do, they're just gonna build another prison So let's just do nothing and let it all happen Whatever we do, the universe just keeps on giving Whatever we do, the earth will always keep on spinning Whatever we do, we still won't understand beginnings So let's just do nothing and let it all happen Resistance is resistance In a world that thinks the human instinct should be held back And all of our wisdom, we should sell that Destroy the difference that we all have Every freedom we believe we'll receive in this evening But believing is deceiving when there is no meaning And not a syllable, however how lyrical Spout from the mouths of clout, devout criminals Hegemonies as old as humanity, right? So we're told So let us scramble for the globe until everything folds As long as pockets always have enough dollars to fold As long as rockets always have enough venom to scold A daddy's daughter, a mother's son, or anyone That has not come to succumb to a murderous tongue Worship a gun from the palace to permanent slums Purchase a ton from whoever will sell you the sun Sell it back to whoever could give you the funds The race is won but I don't know if we lost or we won It's all perception, death and resurrection Lack of answers won't stop us asking the questions So, so, so what do we do now? Make ways to praise more than a few How? The fake maze we kill it with a tool plow Or go back to the way we've always done it, huh? Whatever we do, there's always gonna be division Whatever we do, there'll always be a feast religion Whatever we do, they're just gonna build another prison So let's just do nothing and let it all happen Whatever we do, the universe just keeps on giving Whatever we do, the earth will always keep on spinning Whatever we do, we still won't understand beginnings So let's just do nothing and let it all happen Resistance is resistance In a world that thinks the human instinct should be held back And all of our wisdom, we should sell that Destroy the difference that we all have Resisting the system, please tell me what's the mission Cause we would probably be oppressors if given position Yeah, I tried to spread a message, but really ambition Is what is driven through my lyrics, I'm really a gimmick Not that I don't put my heart and my soul in the words It's just to ask if the bars are changing the earth How arrogant to believe we can change it through art Only slightly less arrogant than those who believe that we can't So, pull a bit harder, you may just come with a house of cards Never to slumber, it's strength for numbers whenever we charge There is a charge, ladies bars, they stick guitars Aim for the stars, game for the past, straight as the dark Aim for the heart, great for the art Start fighting or never should
should never you pen to the page Start writing Whenever should never you empty the gauge Murder a phrase verbally slayed The cover the cut and determine his age Hard as earning a wage From a conservative nerd of a stage Not heard on my permanent page Written in the ink of a blood of a slave No cotton burn on a wage Buried in the bottom of the ocean of rage Existence is resistance. 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 The thing I want to come back to, though, is actually it's not as clear-cut as all of us, in a way, are making it sound with regard to Africans here, okay? Because it was a conscious policy during the early phases of the, the slave trade in Carolina in particular, they actually even had a little formulation that the way you acquired the necessary labor to start a plantation was, oh, I don't know, 15 or so indigenous women and import two working age, healthy African males. Mm-hmm. And the slave population increases faster than the importation of slaves. And the fact of the matter is, during the 1600s in the Carolinas, you had more indigenous people being exported as slaves Mm -hmm. than you had Africans being imported, mostly from Barbados. Mm -hmm. Okay? So they were coming. I think that was Angola, but I'm not sure. Um, The acquisition. They were diverting slaves that were going to be taken to Portugal north somehow in the trade. Mm-hmm. Details of that, I'd have to go back and look at it a little bit, but you had this importation that was coming on from Barbados, but a much larger exportation. And people lose track of that when we talk about slavery, mm-hmm. genocide of the native people and African slaves being brought in, but the proportion of American Indians who were enslaved in those initial phases outweighed the Africans, mm-hmm. particularly in, in the southern area around the Carolinas. But it, that extends to the north. Mm-hmm. And you have the exportation of indigenous people as slaves to the Indies, mm-hmm. clear up as far north as it goes in New England, clear into Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Well, the implication of that importation of uh, African males and mixing them with literally mixing them with uh, indigenous females is that, you know, the population's increasing faster than the rate of importation and enslavement of American Indians. So who are the children that are increasing the population? Mm -hmm. So you're creating red-black admixtures here that are by law denied in the United States. Mm -hmm. You know? You have a denial of indigenous existence by virtue of proclaiming the, the... People there, under the one-drop rule, Mm -hmm. as black. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you see that in North Carolina with the Lummies and Tuscaroras and red black peoples. That extends up in, well, it extends all the way up, but pronounced in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Loving Virginia. Mrs. Loving there was, uh, she identified as Rappahannock mm-hmm. and her lineage. I mean, she could document both traditional way, but interestingly enough, since Virginia was Plecker's state where they're busily trying to expunge anything other than black and colored, except the uh, elite got to claim Pocahontas as a descendant. So they're the only people who got to identify as Indian. <laughs> <laughs> but one, one upshot of that, too, is you got all these terms. <laughs> I de- I'm delighted. The, the yuppie enclave in Atlanta where I'm living, okay, is a suburb. It used to be a town in its own right. It's Buckhead. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. We've been Buckhead there. Buckhead is a tri-racial admixture. Okay. Miscegenation occurred. I, I don't think all these yuppies know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's one of the terms. And there's brass ankles, red bones, mm-hmm. melungeons, croatons. There's about 40 different names for different groups that are admix red, black. That's ignoring phenomena like Seminole, which comes into being mm-hmm. in the late 18th century. That's about a third escaped chattel slaves. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of them recently arrived from Africa. So you got a red, black people that from its inception. Mm-hmm. Now, Everybody's denying that now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you see all this disenrollment stuff going in uh, Oklahoma with the so-called five civilized tribes trying to disenroll. Well, Seminoles trying to dis they did. I think they've been overruled by the colonizer. Okay. Tried to disenroll the entire Estelusti band. Okay. The Estelusti or Estelusti. Depends on who's pronouncing it. Are the red black Seminoles or the black Seminoles, as they're called? Mm-hmm. Okay. Extends much further than that. Cherokees have done that. Okay. They had to reinstate them, but so called freedmen. Well, that's, that's a federal thing, too. There's a series of distortions in our own cultures that, that have occurred there. Okay, and one distortion begets another distortion, but the feds came in and just when they compiled the Dawes rolls around the uh, early 1900s, they simply enrolled every black person as a freedman. Well, these weren't all freedmen. They hadn't all been slaves. Mm-hmm. Right. Descendants of slaves. But they enrolled the black Cherokees as freedmen. Mm-hmm. And that freedmen... And, kind of a federal imposition that they, they be enrolled. They should have been okay in my view, but nonetheless feds imposed that. And so that's the rationale for disenrolling them now. Mm-hmm. And my God, you got black people, being you know, typically black people <laughs> who are more Cherokee than Cherokees in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. And nobody's worried about the admixture of white down there. You can be 200, and 55, 256 whites, if you got, they don't have blood quantum requirements. So 
if you can trace any lineage, okay, you're enrollable as a Cherokee so long as that admixture is white, not black. So we need to unscramble this. But one thing, I mean, you're correct in the, the general framing here, but we need to understand the degree and nature of our interrelatedness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Physically, in this so-called mixing pot, well, we got mixed okay. What are the implications of that? Yeah. And why were the so-called black Seminoles able to incorporate with these fragments of the Wale and so forth and the recalcitrant, well, they'd be upper creeks, okay, Osceola's people, so readily. Mm-hmm. And how much of that African culture was absorbed right from the get-go into Seminole culture? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at those jackets, and near as I can tell, they're African. Mm-hmm. The, Distinctive jackets. They're really, really uh, small patchwork, intricate designs. Well, you couldn't take the design and apply it to a particular African design, but the approach and the technique mm-hmm. is clearly okay. That's absorbed as a seminal tradition now. Mm-hmm. Okay, both sides of this equation need to stop taking breath and stop treating one another in terms that were imposed under the racial codes of the settler society, the dominant society. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it's uh, funny you say that. That's kind of the, that actually is the point I, you know, the personally I take is in terms of like the mixture, like you said, in terms of an everyday phenomenological experience, you know, I, as a self-identified African, right? When mm-hmm. we, when we, when I, when I walk down the street, of everything, nobody wants to be. You know, you, you, and I know you know because I've read all these, this stuff. You know how we, you, you, you hang around us. They say, well, first thing we say, I, I ain't really African. I ain't got no black blood. You know, I really got this quarter Indian thing going on with me. <laughs> look, look, look at this good hair. Now look, this ain't, this ain't got no kind of African in me. This is my uh, Cherokee on my grandma's side. My daddy. Have a uh, a uh, a uh, Cree, uh, what they just start making up stuff, right? And you cannot deny, uh, you know, because I actually, you know, got into a polemic with somebody about the, you know, the Seminoles and a lot of the maroon societies within the so-called uh, the United States on Turtle Island were Africans and Indigenous people. We we came up and just like in the Seminole, when I think it was Andrew Jackson said, "Turn over the Africans," and, they, and the Seminole brother said, "These are our people now. We all one." And the way I, the, the political project I look at it is, look, I identify as African. I know there might be a, if I, if I, I don't recognize no settler blood in me. That was imposition. That's just my political stance. I don't. I mm-hmm. do recognize indigenous. If, if that's, because, mm-hmm. and, because what the way it got, I look at it is that what it is, it brought together, it, 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 even though it was a chrysalis, we didn't want it. <laughs> Sometimes we didn't know what it's forced upon, imposition. But it brought together to where Afri- the African blood and the uh, indigenous blood of, of, of the Americas was brought together under the, under the same type of colonial type situations. And we undergone to go and, and it is our liberation together that will bring forth the new world. I got too many people want to recognize that quarter Irish, 
they always want to be a quarter Irish and all this. Oh, some other. of them are all Irish I, now. I, yeah, I've had people <laughs> tell me, "Don't talk about white people in my presence." I'm Irish because I'm Irish, and they and, and they look like this microphone. This this uh, look like a calling the kettle uh, uh-huh. black. They told me they was Irish. Somebody told me they were Italian because their last name was Italian. Yeah, so. <laughs> It, you know the like you said, it gets really it gets really scared because you're dealing with a people who don't want to have an identity. Other other is like you said in the in the talk in C-SPAN, black white is a binary, you know, yep. and they don't want to be a part of that other binary, no doubt, you know. And so, but you cannot deny the uh, and for political reasons, which is why I look at a lot of indigenous stuff, uh, uh, materials and readings and stuff. That our cultures are so similar. Mm-hmm. Our cultures are, and look at what happened to us. When you, I, I'm jumping ahead, but when you discussed uh, in the chapter uh, uh, about your lay wife and you were saying how her father was really trying to be a white man in the sense that like he thought the education could outdo his redness. Mm-hmm. That's something mm-hmm. that every African yeah. try to do. We always try to talk so like this and make sure. They don't see these big lips, you know. <laughs> oh, Gotti, gee willies, I'm just like you guys. I love the police. Giuliani for president, you know. Uh, but you know that. But I, I totally understand what you're saying. So I was gonna go to the next question unless he had want to say something. All right, this is where we gotta leave for now. You see, I, we was going into the war. Was about to say something. Y'all saw that, right? All right. But that's where we got to leave for now. But if you want to finish listening to Wielding Words Like Weapons with Ward Churchill Part 1 in its entirety, all you have to do is go to our store, and there you will have access not only to this particular interview, but to all of Conscientization 101's unabridged interviews, musical commentaries, and merchandise. And most importantly, you will be supporting 100% independent media. Yes, you will, because like we said before, we ain't funded. We ain't got no handlers. This is all we do this from the bottom of our hearts, the top of it, all of it, the atrium and all that. You know what I'm saying? Because we believe in this here. Now, we promise you, just like with all of our unabridged interviews, the podcast was just the tip of the iceberg because we touch on so much more. So you definitely want to get the unabridged interview for Wielding Words Like Weapons with Word Churchill, part one. Where in addition to what uh, you just heard, we discussed the various aspects of colonialism and its effects on indigenous people, revolutionary pan-Africanism constructed on African culture, bogus theories created to justify colonialism, such as the menagerie and Bering Strait theories, and how Hitler's policies of extermination of non-Aryan people was based on the United States policies towards American Indians and much more. So we know you want to finish hearing Wielding Words Like Weapons with War Churchill, part one. So the link to this unabridged interview is in our show notes. It's in our show notes. So if you listen to this, it's in our show notes. So you can pick that up now, right after you listen to this. Also, I want to give a shout out to my managing editor, Zari Sundiata, for a bang up job on editing our unabridged interviews to get the excerpts for our podcast episodes. And especially for this one, because, you know, it was over two days. It was like around over six hours. So she had a lot of material she had to edit. And I mean, it was really long and had some good material. And But she knows how to pick out the material that makes the best edit for the show and stuff like that. Because 
you know, I would, I'd be like, oh, listen to that. We want to get that. Like, yeah, but, you know, hey, we're going to do this. This sounds like this. So, you know, that's what she does. You know what I'm saying? So thank you, Zari. But, hey, like I said before, you can pick up the Underbridge interview and you will get the Underbridge Real Deal content. All right. This episode has featured music from Buggin' Malone. Peltier's beat goes on. And Deesky, Right This Wrong, instrumental. From the album, Free Leonard Peltier, hip-hop's contribution to the Freedom Campaign. Akala, Let It All Happen, from his album, The Thieves' Banquet. Conscientization 101, Decolonize This, Properly Defining Settlers, Part 1. From our Musical Commentaries Collection. Links to feature music are in our show notes. In addition, we will be linking to Brother Ward's Wielding Words Like Weapons, Selected Essays in Indigenism, 1995 through 2005 book. And also, we'll be linking to his other works as well. Because like we said, he's a very prolific writer. Now, don't forget, when you visit us at conscientization101.com or c101magazine.com, sign up to our mailing list for exclusive information and downloads. Hit up our store where you can download our free gift today. It's a free gift. You download that. It's free audio, something we produce. Check it out. And pick up an unabridged interview. Also, if you're in the store, or two or three, pick up a few musical commentaries. They're very similar to the free gift. Hey, pick up a shirt. Did I say that already? Well, if I didn't say it, I'm saying it now. Pick up a shirt. Pick, pick up a shirt. Support 100% independent media. All right. I'm having way too much fun doing this, right? Don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Conscien1, that's C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-1, and on Facebook at Conscientization101, and Instagram at C101 Editors. See, we got all of it covered. All right, now we want to thank Brother Ward Churchill for taking his time to schedule a dialogue with us over those two days. We really appreciate that. It was an honor and a pleasure. And also, y'all pick up his book, and we want to see that you've read it next time for part two of our series, Wielding Words Like Weapons with Ward Churchill. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Ward Churchill. We'll see you soon. Peace. Wielding these words like weapons. Yeah.